0: So if you brought your Bibles, you can open them up to the Gospel of John. Uh, we're going to be in John for a while. And every year at Aspen Grove, we, we always return to one of the Gospels. We, we feel like we need to raise Jesus to the surface even more. And so if you're thinking, man, I've heard John already, man, get ready. We want you to hear this again. We think it's so important to come back to the truth of Jesus. We think it's a truth that our world still needs. So I'm going to invite you to... Uh, uh, nuzzle in to the gospel of John for the next few weeks uh, like a, a like a sleeping bag with a zipper stuck that's what i want right like i i just want you to to settle down into this word and let me tell you a little bit about the situation in life of John and then we'll look at a, the first few verses together today so in the bible we have four four kind of stories of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but really, John, John's is the most different of, of all of them. I, I mean, John is, his, his story of Jesus and Jesus' life is, is like, you, you wouldn't even, like, if you try to compare it to the other three, you, you think that John is telling a completely different story. Uh, John's gospel centers in Judea, not in Galilee. Uh, John's gospel, Jesus' ministry, lasts three years. There's a whole different time frame. Um, There's significant differences in words, in deeds, and John's telling of Jesus' story. John never uses the word miracle. Instead, he uses the word signs. Everything Jesus does in John is a sign. In fact, the first half of John's gospel is called the book of signs. There are no exorcisms in John's gospel. Uh, This may shock you and surprise you. There are no parables in John's telling. Instead, Jesus kind of, he carries out these lengthy discourses. And John is the only place you can read the resurrection of Lazarus or the woman caught in the act of adultery. In fact, most of what is in John is not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, and vice versa. Uh, stylistically, the the Greek and John. If you're, uh, we have some Greek students here. Like, like if you're a Greek student, you want John on your final exam because John is like uh, not like Luke. Luke was a doctor, well educated. His Greek's amazing. John's Greek is very school child kind of Greek. Um, I, I want to talk to you a little bit about John. I want to show you a picture. Go ahead, Marva, show that up there. You guys know this painting. It's a little well known. The Last Supper by who? Da Vinci, not John. Da Vin- yeah, Da Vinci. He painted it. And uh, uh, there's a great, uh, uh, well, I say great, but I think he's great. There's an author who wrote a book about all this. You guys remember the book, The Da Vinci Code? Any of you ever read this Dan Brown stuff? Some of you are like, I would never read that. That's so, ser- oh, man, that's an awesome book. You should read this book. I'm just telling you right now. Like, he is a great writer. This is this is worth your time. And, uh, Part of the premise of of the Da Vinci Code is that Jesus was married and in love and all this kind of stuff. And that the person in Da Vinci's painting of the Last Supper, the person sitting to the right of Jesus, this is all Dan Brown's idea. The person sitting next to Jesus is actually Mary Magdalene, who Jesus was married to and all that. Okay, none of that is in Scripture. That's all fiction. The person sitting next to Jesus in Da Vinci's painting is who? John. And a way to honor people, uh, especially in art, and this happens in a lot of places in art, is to give them more feminine features. You see, John is referred to as the beloved. He's the beloved disciple. He's a brother of James, sons of Zebedee, they were known as Sons of Thunder. He was, uh, John was the youngest disciple, and, and he really outlived all of the other disciples. And, and really, John's accounting of, of Jesus' life is the last one we have. All of the others were written earlier, even much earlier. John's comes much later, and he saw this thing and experienced this, this Jesus as, with younger eyes than the others. John also wrote other epistles we have and other letters we have in the New Testament, uh, and he received at least one miraculous revelation. And with his brother James and Peter, John was part of Jesus' inner circle. So intimate, in fact, that at the scene of Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus calls out to John for John to take care of Jesus' own mother. Again, this is something that only John records. No other gospel shares it. And in chapter 21, at the very end of John, he says himself, he says, the disciple is the one who testifies to these events and has recorded them here. And we know that his account of these things is accurate. And what's important is that we know that this is a first-hand report. It's an eyewitness account from someone who was there, someone who saw the whole thing for those who couldn't or did not see Jesus, John says, let me tell you the story. Let's look at the very first verse. Let's dig in together. We're going to kind of move through the first 13 verses together. John says in chapter one, verse one, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. It's kind of, I don't know if it's like, Once upon a time, you know, it's like it invites you in. But in that, even in that first verse, you're supposed to remember already, like uh, if you're a Hebrew, your Hebrew mind would already hasten back to what? Where else have you heard this language? In the beginning. In Genesis, right? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, like John's beginning says, you can't go back further than that. He says, "I'm going to start all the way at the beginning, all the way back, and at the beginning was the Word." Do any of you have like um, philosophies of life? You have you have like like things that you live by, things that like help you make decisions. Uh, I, I, sometimes, I, I sometimes tell people I live by two great yet competing philosophies of life, right? The, the first philosophy, way I make decisions and move through the world is, the, uh, is Latin. It's carpe diem. You guys know carpe diem? What does carpe diem mean? Seize the day. Like, okay, this is a great way to go through life. This is a great way to make decisions. It's awesome. Carpe diem, right? Like, just charge out there. Take advantage of every moment. And, and part of the time I'm, I'm Mr. Carpe diem. And the other part of the time, there's a whole other philosophy of life that I think is equally good, yet completely contrary to carpe diem, and it is less is more, right? So sometimes I'm carpe diem, and sometimes I'm less is more, you know? (laughs) Do you live by these things? How do you make decisions? So for the Greek thought and culture and world, um, the the way the universe operated— Was the word. It was logos. And that's what John is pointing to at the very beginning. He says, In the beginning, the word, the logos. And, and Logos in, in Greek thinking was the, it's, it's just the rational principle. It's, it's the thought that guides the universe and makes everything coherent. It's, it's the ultimate indisputable. Logos is the ultimate wisdom. It's, Logos is like the laws of nature, right? Logos is gravity. Logos is how everything fits together and works together. It's the cosmic equation to solve everything, right? And in the Hebrew mind, Logos, it means that, but also in the Hebrew mind, Logos is the word of God. Like this equation that solves it all and puts all these pieces together is the word of God. It's the expression of God's wisdom and creative power. Now, knowing all that, let's go to verse 2. See anything? Oh, go back. Go back. There it is. In the beginning was the Word. And then in verse 2, do you see the change that happens? He existed in the beginning with God. See, John makes this really important big step. He says this great source of wisdom, the creative force, the guiding principle of the universe isn't a principle, it's actually a person. In fact, the first four verses of John really read like this. If you read between the lines, he says, in the beginning, the Jesus already existed. Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Jesus existed in the beginning with God and God created everything through, you guessed it, Jesus. And nothing was created except through Jesus. Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to who? This is so fun. You see, like, all right, so in the Hebrew mind, like, if you're going to introduce somebody, you, you introduce them by telling their genealogy, right? Right? Who you are is who you came from, right? Like, like that's, it, that's, that's the picture you get. In fact, in Matthew's gospel, this is the most important thing, the boring part of Matthew's gospel that you all skip over is the first chapter. It's a whole genealogy list. Backing up, Jesus was the son of, was the son of, was the son of, to prove that Jesus is in the line of David, this kingly line, right? In Mark, he goes all the way back to Isaiah, right? And John says, I'll show you, You think Jesus is the son of David. You don't know nothing. Jesus is the word who was in the beginning. In the beginning, Jesus. I joke sometimes that like if we use John's gospel for Christmas, things would look very different, right? Uh, John's gospel is there's no virgin birth or shepherds or, like do, you, like, do you see this? See how different it is? Uh, he's not concerned about angels or announcements or kings or any of that kind of stuff. If we use John's gospel, like, we would have to, like, we wouldn't have Christmas tree. We would have, like, the days of creation somehow lined out in our, in our living room, right? Maybe, maybe use globes. I don't know what songs we would sing, but it would be very different, because John backs up all of that, like, virgin birth, I'll show you, he was in the beginning. Like, it, it's, it's pretty fascinating that in the other Gospels, like, like it, maybe in Mark, too, like, the, the other Gospels go to great lengths to demonstrate Jesus' humanity, to show his human origins. But John's Gospel goes to great lengths to demonstrate Jesus' divinity, Right. Uh, in in Mark, Jesus suffers and gets tired and stubs his toe and all of these kind of things. And John, you see none of that. In John's Gospel, Jesus wears a Superman cape. Right. He's superhuman. In chapter seven, verse forty-six, John says he speaks as no man has ever spoken. John isn't concerned about the human Jesus. John's concerned about the divine Son of God in the beginning, Creator Jesus. Look at what it says in verses 3 through 5. It says, God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone, and the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. I love what Psalm 33 says. It says, The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and the stars were born. For when he spoke, the world began and it appeared at his command. What was the creative force at the very, very beginning? What did God use to create everything? Was it his hands? It was the word, right? Like he spoke it. And it was and John, in his gospel, says that word he spoke, that was actually Jesus. Jesus wasn't just present with God. He is God, and he is God's creative arm. He is God's means of creation. And as the creator, he is the only one with the power to beat back the darkness and give life. Do you see? The, so this is really important. You need to see that Jesus is creator and life giver. We just think it. He makes the darkness tremble. Are you with me? Let's look at the next few verses. It says, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. All right, so this, think about this creative force that was there in the beginning. It wasn't just a force. It was a person. And he has come back. And John the Baptist says, you know, really my job... It's just to tell everyone that he's come back. That this light creator, life giver has returned. And John says, I'm, I'm not the light, I'm just a witness to it. That's kind of a role for us to play also. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming. Into the world. That's what Zechariah's song right before Jesus' birth. Remember what he says the morning light of heaven is about to dawn upon us. This ideas of, these ideas of light and dark are gonna be really, really important. And there's this polarity that exists between light and dark, Like, right? They can't occupy the same space. One always forces out the other and the light of Jesus coming says that he has forced out the darkness. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. You guys are doing great. Are you staying with me? Okay, all right, stay with me. He came into the very world he created but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. The he who was there in the beginning, who created everything, came back. And although everything in the world was created by him, so I don't know. Like, do you have that tag on your shirt that says, like, made in? You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, John says a little bit of this. Like, he said everything in the world had this tag on it that said made by Jesus and yet nobody recognized it. Even John himself, like John will, will say, like, I wasn't the light and I was teaching and there was this guy in the crowd and I, John will say, I, I didn't recognize him. This is why we do a gospel every year. Uh, there's this crazy thing that happens. In John's gospel, we get to kind of watch this whole play out. Like this whole thing happens right in front of us. And we get to be an audience who sees all the characters and how they all move and how they interact together. And it's really fun and it's really interesting. And one of the things that you're going to get to see as you dive into John is that everybody who is supposed to see the truth of who Jesus is, all of those who have spent their whole life waiting for the truth of Jesus the Messiah to come, none of those people see him. And that's supposed to be like this sobering thing to us. Like, oh. And yet, all of the people who are never supposed to understand or see the truth of Jesus, uh, uh, I'll put it this way. In John's gospel, literally a blind man sees Jesus when the religious churchgoers don't. And us looking into this fishbowl story are supposed to go, oh. I guess... I guess we could miss him. You, that, you know that phrase, like, if it was a snake, if it was a snake, it would have bit you. That's what John says. Like, he's, the, the creator's right here. He's got his fingerprints in everything. He's right in front of you. Sets the stage for the whole story and, and begs the question of us. If a blind man can see this truth, will, will I, will you? Will you recognize the truth of Jesus? A few more verses, then we're going to be done, I promise. Verses 12 and 13 says, But to all who believed in him, so some saw, to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. There's this great scene in John's gospel where this this old man, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus and he says, how is an old man like me supposed to be reborn? How is an old man like me supposed to climb back up inside my mom? I know that's graphic, but that's where he goes. He takes it there. He does, I swear. It is supposed to be ridiculous, But do you remember who Jesus is? The one who is in the beginning, who created it all, who was God's force of bringing life into everything. That life-giver creator has come back. The one with the power to give life has returned. The creator of everything recreates again those who believe in him and says, you know, you can be reborn. Oh, this is such an important idea for our world. This is such an important idea. I don't want you to miss this. Like, like, do you recognize, like, it doesn't matter what you've done or how broken you are or how tarnished and sinful your life has become. Just you wait until the creator of the universe gets his hands on you. You think you're broken. And Jesus says, I got this. I can make you new. The creator can take all that shame and guilt and ugliness in your life and make you new. Do you believe that? One more verse and uh, we'll... We'll kind of kind of steer this thing to a conclusion. It's just the first part of verse 14, and I want to keep going, but you guys probably have like important stuff to do. Verse 14, he says So the word, this this force that puts all these pieces together and inserts life into everything, became human and made his home among us. The Greek is tabernacled with us. And there's, there's this whole, I mean, there's seven sermons on the tabernacle in the Old Testament and God's presence and his glory and how it fills the tabernacle. And there's that imagery there, and I, that's super important. I want you to get it. But, but in some really kind of practical ways, it's, it, it, it's just kind of a way of saying, so here he is right in your laps. You see that? This force with the power of new life and rebirth has come. Here he is, Emmanuel, right? The light has come. Now what? Now what? There's one verse in John that all of you know. You know it already. You know it without me even saying it. Maybe you made a poster and held it up at a football game. I don't know. I don't know why I always see it there. But it's John chapter 3, verse 16, right? You may not know the New Living Version, but it just says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son that everyone who, what's that word? Believes in him will not perish, but have the light of life. John in chapter 30, at the very end of his gospel, he says, this is, this is actually, this is why I'm writing this whole thing. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. Who is Jesus Was he just a good guy? Prophet, teacher. Was he born of a virgin? Or was he something more? I invite you this morning as as we I'm going to send you to a time of like communion and response, and we have the elements of communion around the room. As I send you to these tables, I invite you to, to, to ask the question: who is Jesus? And if you're brave enough, I invite you to believe in Him. Because when you believe, it opens you up to receive all that the creator who was there in the very beginning has to offer. He comes today, he comes now, offering you who believe in him new life. Let me pray and I'll send you to a time of communion. Father God, I thank you so much for your word and um, Man, I, I just, have, I feel so humbled by it and uh, I, I, I trust your word now, God, to do its work. Um, God, I pray for those who have walked in faith a long time and I pray for those who are maybe new in faith and, and have questions and I pray for those who have more questions than they have faith. Father God, I invite your son, the word, into our laps now and here. Invite you into this space. Father God, if we need the life and the light that your son brings, the promise that he brings. And God, we know that it's available today to us. So Father God, how you can, where you can, and in the cauldron of our hearts, stir us to believe. To believe in your son Jesus and receive all that he has to offer. We love you, Father, and it's in your son Jesus' name that everyone together says, "Amen." mean, invite you to stand and enjoy a time of communion together.